and welcome to another episode of the Bianca Del Rio podcast. I hope you've been enjoying these few podcasts that we've been doing. I've had a great time doing it, and today is without any exception. I have the opportunity to talk to somebody who has been kind, generous, and loving, and that's just on a personal level. This man is the coolest fucking dude in the world. I don't know how to explain it. There's very few people that you connect with and that are generally kind and nice, and this man is one of them. With a career that started in 1991, working in theater, to every film you could possibly name up until today, He's in everything, not to mention he's mega talented, absolutely gorgeous, and just the nicest fuck around. You know, not saying fuck because we didn't fuck, but we'll talk a little bit more about his sperm and my sperm a little bit later. Let's welcome the brilliant Mr. Alan Cumming. And here we are again with another episode of the Bianca Del Rio podcast, and I am quite excited, as I said earlier, to bring in someone who I have to say is one of the first celebrities that I met that was so fucking nice to me. So, so nice to me many, many, and many, many, many years ago. He's a Scottish-American actor, comedian, singer, writer, filmmaker, and activist who got his big break when he made a cameo in the feature Hurricane Bianca. <laughs> Let's welcome Mr. Alan Cumming. Hello. How are, how are Hi, you? Hi, Bianca. Hi, how are you? Uh, pretty good. You know, still alive, battling on. What can you do? Yeah. Exactly. It's been quite a crazy year, just in general. And I often ask everyone, what have you been doing to get through it? Like mentally, what do you do? Do you drink? Do you not drink? Are you been on the fitness game? I know. What you feeling? I've been drinking. I have. Uh, I've. Um, you know, I've not. I actually think I've been drinking less though, because oh. you know, normally, what I think, because I've been in mostly uh, in the countryside mm-hmm. in the Catskills where I am now, and you know, you know, I have a wee drink or two in the evening. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe, but I could in the last year I can count maybe on one and a half hands the number of times I've been like properly drunk. Okay, yeah, and it's so, so fun when you're home alone, right? No, I mean I've got Grant with me, but it's uh, usually when I'm doing when I have a Zoom call with some boozy friends when we just yeah. you know. But actually, I realised that my life in the olden days is so sort of structured around you know. You go for drinks before dinner, then you go yeah. for, or you go to a party, then you go for dinner and you have drinks there, then you go for a nightcap at club yeah. coming or you do it. So it's like drink, 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 drink. So actually just being in my house, even if I'm yeah. having a few glasses, I, I, I've drunk much less. I've been also, I've got a little gym in my shed and Ooh. I've been um, fit, doing fitness. So I've gone for yes. that too, probably fitter than I was before. This is good. Yes, this it's is all good. good. And I just, I've actually really loved just being, having us breath away from everything, you know, and just calm, calming down a bit. I've not made yeah. bread. I made bread once and I thought, what the fuck am I oh. doing? I don't even like bread. <laughs> well, first of all, bread is for freaks. I mean, I have never been sitting alone in a room going, you know what? I'm missing out on bread making. Like, let's get some ingredients. You know, as a gay man, there's so many other things we can do. We can totally. decorate. We can move furniture. We can touch ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you really get to the point where you're like, let me roll out some yeast? And like, all it, that, that big, that's everyone had their little plastic buckets with the thing that was like this monster that was kind of growing in there to wait for it. To, I just was like, what are you doing? And I, I did one thing. Juliana Margulies told me, 
name drop. Yes. Juliana Margulies yeah. told me that uh, about a kind of pleasure because you don't have to do all that yeast stuff. It was at the time when, when you couldn't go to the shops so everyone was scared to go to the shops, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. And um, she goes, you don't need to do all that yeast fermenting thing. You just do this one in a, in a Dutch oven. And okay. it was actually fine. It did come out quite well. But I thought, I don't even like bread. I avoid bread no. most of the time. <laughs> but let's be honest. When you tell a gay man Dutch oven, which is a whole nother thing. I mean, you know what that means in the gay world. But nonetheless, that's the way you go. I want the shortcuts. I don't want to do the whole process of trying to figure things out. And like I said, who eats bread? Nobody eats yeast. No one gives a shit, especially no. when you're gay. It's like, no, it's no, like no. It's the not devil. the thing for me. Yeah, it's the devil. Oh, no, no, so- it's, like, it's like a real... Like once in a while, if I sort of have something like, you know, I don't, I try to avoid stuff like that because I have a very delicate tummy. But, you know, I eat like a horse, but I avoid pasta and things like that sometimes, just, you know, uh, gluteny things. If I have done it, I just yeah. think, oh, fuck it. I might as well just have a loaf of bread now as well. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> just pile it in. Yeah, might as well. I mean, hot bread is good. Hot bread's exciting. But also, there's certain things that I enjoy in a restaurant. Like, there's certain things that I enjoy when I go out that I don't necessarily want in my house. Do you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Oh, because bread's so difficult to keep. It just sits <laughs> like, there and then really? it gets hard. And then yeah. you have to. And if you want to make it into that salad with that, like, sour, what's it called? Croutons? Stale, sourdough yes, bread? Stale bread salad. I mean, how appetizing is that? I love, do you know what I like doing in a restaurant? Like, I like getting uh, a martini. Mm-hmm. And I like getting the bread and I like dunking the bread into my martini. No. Yeah. No. It's a, it's actually, Wait a minute. Wait, are you a, are you a vodka martini? Totally. Or are you a vodka. dirty martini? I'm a vodka martini straight up with a twist. Very, Ooh. very dry. Okay. Like, like okay. the vermouth is only, the bottle of vermouth is just sort of, you know, um, held, held around. It doesn't actually, the, the top of the vermouth doesn't come off. And then so you stick the bread in it. It's delicious. Vodka and okay. bread. It's a really nice sort of... Um, <laughs> Very Russian. I've never tried that. Give it a you go. know, if Jesus and Jean Valjean would have had that, imagine <laughs> the story they could have told. <laughs> oh my God! Wait. Have you seen those pictures of Jesus of the Last Supper? That where there's so there was a the thing I saw on the internet. It's a, and it's very topical because we're actually talking uh, yes. around the time of our Lord's resurrection. <laughs> yes. Um, and with the emphasis on erection, actually, in this uh, story, because <laughs> there's all these pictures from from these like tapestries and old paintings. Of yeah. ta- a ta- it's the Last Supper, but it's a circular table that I and like there's there's Jesus and there's a man on his knees like like going underneath like it looks like he's going down on Jesus. I'm sorry no. if this offends anyone, but it honestly looks like he's going down. It's in all these. It's out throughout history. It's this one of the disciples is well, I think it's I Judas. Mean, come on. I mean, we've all go down. We've all gone down on a guy named Jesus. I mean, if you really, you really haven't lived until you've done that, you know. And in the first five minutes of the podcast, we discussed bread, a new recipe for vodka, and Jesus, Jesus. getting his dick sucked. We're yeah. off to a good start, honestly. We're now. Yeah, we are. Now, I got to tell you, I, I said in the intro that, you know, you were one of the first celebrities I ever met, but also the nicest. But I went, I don't know if you remember this story, but it was a, a forever ago. And you now own Club Coming, which is this amazing space downtown. Of course I know this story. I always tell that, I always say, Roy, that I, um, I, I, held, I held the torch 
I held a torch yes, for Bianca Del Rio and I still do. Yes. Because well, you were doing friend, a show uh, at, at what was Club Coming used to be called Eastern Block. Eastern Block, yes. And our mutual friend, Daniel, Daniel. Dardicio, hired me for this gig where, you know, uh, by the time you got to Eastern Block on your schedule, basically the gays would start midtown and then work their way down. It became the drinking hangout place. And the last thing you really wanted to see in the middle of the night when you're trying to score some dick and a cocktail is a fucking drag queen in a space that's maybe four by four. You yeah. know, it's a very tiny, intimate. And you had to stand on it. It wasn't even a stage then. It was like a sort of little no. booth with a sort of weird yes. TV behind you in a box. The, t- the TV where the, qu- the Russian queen porn. kicked it one night. Do you remember that? That oh, was a whole no. other story. But nonetheless, we're there. And I was asked to bring up some people and make it exciting. Basically ruin everyone's night. So I'm there doing this. And there's not even a functioning light, so to speak. There's one light that someone's holding in the upper corner that's trying to keep the room lit. Now, granted, the person holding the light had a couple drinks themselves. And... <laughs> I'm bitching about, can we move the light up? Can we do this? Can we do that? Cut to, we're finishing the show. I'm done. And I find out the one holding the light is <laughs> <Me>. Alan Cumming. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Because I, like, I was there and uh, Daniel said, oh, this is really great. A friend of mine <laughs> come up from New Orleans. Bianca Del Rio is so funny. But there's no, it's terrible. Like, would you would you do follow spot if I give you this lamp? And it was really hot. I remember I had, that's why yes, I was a bit yes. bad because it was hurting my hands holding it. And I was laughing as well. <laughs> yes. And there it was. And then when it was over, it was very sweet because everybody went about their business. And Al and I sat next to that little TV and we chatted. I don't even know how long we chatted. We discussed cabaret. We discussed the world. We didn't yeah, get yeah. to vodka and bread. But it was <laughs> this the nicest and most human and most humble person I had ever met. And I thought, what a sweet New York moment. You walk away with it. You go, oh, how nice that was. I think it might have even before, you know, uh, uh, Instagram and all that madness oh, it definitely happened. was, It was yeah. way early. I mean, it must have been a good what? It was at around 2005. Was so it? it was yeah, early so on. 15, yeah. 16 years. I was going to say 10, but it's like, oh my gosh, doesn't time fly? And then remember yes. you did a sort of a talk show thing with Daniel. I came on that. Yes. Yes, we the, did. It was me, you, Amanda Lepore. Oh yes. God, that night. Yes. Wow. Robin Camille. Yeah. And then there was someone, um, there was someone who had been on one of those and you really ripped them a new one. And I thought that was really good. Like one of those sort of gay, uh, sort of reality shows called like the B list or something. Or what was it? Yes. Called? There was the guy from, uh, I think it was called the A list. And it was one of those gay shows where they had a bunch of gays living their lives in New York and Florida and what have you. Yeah. And one of them was annoying as fuck, who yeah. has now become my best friend, uh, <laughs> so to speak. But he, uh, yeah, he was a douchebag and he was drunk that night and I held, I couldn't hold back. So. So I just let it all out while Alan's sitting there. La, la, la. I was just like, yeah, blah, blah, talking about some movie. But I love that about you. I love that you're, I mean, because I, I, well, you're hilarious and clever and oh. like, and, and you're mean sometimes, but you're really like, you You don't just, you're not just, I don't enjoy a mean drag queen who's just mean for no reason. I think you're, when right. you're mean, it's like, because things you believe in it. There's a great, oh my gosh, I must tell you that this, my friend. John Tiffany. Do you know him? He's the director. He just like um, yes. Mac- Macbeth. I did, did the Harry Potter the plays. You yeah. know, blah, blah. Big theatre director. And during lockdown, he's been making all these mashup mix things. And okay. um, there's there's you. And he does like, you know, uh, the, the Devil Wears Prada. Then it goes yes. in, in, into Miranda Girls Paisley. Rule the World. Mm-hmm. And 
as one of me doing my things from I'm going to actually lip sync. I'm making my lip syncing debut in no. Australia. I'm going to, when I do a club coming thing in Australia, I'm going to the Adelaide Cabaret Festival. And I thought this would be so good because he's done this mashup thing and it's me. So I'll lip sync to myself doing lines from Macbeth whilst this. Brilliant. Thing, and then it goes into Coldplay. But there's you and it's, uh, I can't remember what the song is that goes into it. I could find it in a minute, actually, if you like. And it's well, you, it me, you yeah. saying to someone, you know, I've been, shut the fuck up. I'm a man in a wig and I've been <laughs> doing this for 16 years, something like that. It's so, yes. and it's just like, fuck yes. It's so good to hear someone being authentic, I suppose, is really the word I'm searching for. What, but don't you find, don't you find that in our current climate, I think that everybody's just afraid to speak their mind because they're so concerned of what someone else is going to make of it. And yeah. I, I just think that if you have context, if there's context to it, then it really makes all the sense in the world you Absolutely. know they'll take a Absolutely. they'll take a clip of you and then go oh well she said this or this happened but give us the full story what was the yes. setup into it where were we how drunk was this person what time of night was it yeah. you know all of yeah. those things play a huge part in all of it and i also think that anybody who is a d-list celebrity or has any ounce of fame just wants to be treated as i'm the perfect person i've done everything right well, yeah. no, you haven't. And as yeah. a gay person, we love to put everybody on a pedestal and go, oh, they're True. amazing. Yeah. But you're going to find a flaw. You know, you're going to find something wrong. I know there's with a bit more humility could be, could be done with. I think, I think it's also like this thing where there's a thing I do. I really do it. Like sometimes I find when I go into situations where people don't know, you know, they know me, but they don't really know me. And they, yeah. and I, and, and they sort of think that to be, to be fabulous, to be part of Alan, yes. Alan what you have to be mean. And I'm like, I no. really always jump on that and say, you know, I hear them sort of at, saying things on my behalf, like to people lower down the totem pole than them. Alan yeah. wants to do blah, blah, or, you know, back up. And I always say, Alan doesn't actually. Alan wants you to just stop being a dick and just to be <laughs> nice to people. Do you know what I mean? Look Agreed. after me, keep, you know, keep people away if they're being mean. But I don't, there's no situation that is better served with kindness. You know, Agreed. rather than being a cunty about it. Do you want to hear this? I found it. I'll oh, just play the please, thing. Please, let's hear it. Look at this. He's. Two things happened just now. You think you're telling me a story? I know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm a man in a wig who's done this for 18 years. <laughs> uh, Isn't that good? It, that's funny. Okay, so 18 years. I'll send it if to you. I, Please do. If I said 18 years, it had to be at least 2013, 2014 uh, when it happened. And what's funny is that that's before I had vocal cord surgery, because as you can see, I sounded really rough back then. Right. So I had surgery to to fix that. Yeah. What what, was that? how, How long were you put out with that? Six weeks, six weeks of me not talking. Let me, my assistant wow. was happy as fuck. Uh, I had to write everything down, but six weeks of not talking was, was pretty, pretty scary. That's I mean, amazing not that though. I thought it'd be longer than that. No, it was literally six weeks in Los Angeles. Uh, it's the same doctor that Kristen Chenoweth had. Uh, and as you can see, we came out with the same results. Uh, but it was, it was literally like, don't talk, don't do anything. And it really was mind fucking. I mean, I felt like Julie Andrews, although yes. I didn't contribute that much to the world. But you know what I mean. Yeah, I know that. I remember, remember when Julie Andrews couldn't sing? It was like, oh, my God. Yes. I know. And I saw How her terrible. in Victor Victoria, I think. Was that right after she had the surgery? Or because of Victor Victoria, she had to have I think have because the she surgery. had to have it after. It was after that she had it, I think. Yeah, yeah. Because she hasn't been able to perform in anything since then. I mean, no, one... and I saw... Wait, was that was 1996, I believe? Something maybe? like that. Because one of the boys in Cabaret, when I did it in 98, he'd been in Victor Victoria. 
Ah, oh, so he must have had stories. Oh, I love he those did. good stories. He great stories. And he said he had lent Liza took over when Julie Andrews went on holiday. Yes. And he said that, that yes. was hilarious, that, that, that there were just, there was lifts and everything they had to do. And she was going, we we're just having to run after her on the stage to lift her up. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. But, see, you've got all the stories. Every time I see a photo or hear of you working on a project, I go, ooh, Alan's there. <laughs> I mean, the amount of stuff that you've been able to do beginning in 1991, you know, uh, in the theater, Accidental Death of an Anarchist, which you won your first Olivier Award for. Sadly, um, my only Olivier, but I have been nominated other times. It's sadly the only award. But, you know, <laughs> awards mean nothing, as you well know. What? It's just an honour to be nominated. <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> it's an honour to be nominated till you lose. Yeah, exactly. I understand what that's like. Yeah. I get it. But it's kind of like wild to see, like, I mean, I knew you first from Cabaret in the UK, uh, which first started, which was this new imaginative version of it. Because here it was, you were taking part in something that was basically... Uh, the classic of classics. You know, Cabaret had been yeah. done a certain way. Everybody had followed the rules to, you know, as far as the MC was concerned. And here was this new production that you were doing, yeah. completely different. And it kind of changed theatre at the time. Don't you, you feel? I do, actually. It's funny because I've been, I'm right, I've got a new book coming out and I've been writing about Cabaret. Obviously, Cabaret features quite heavily because it's been quite a big part of my life. But also, like, when it came to New York, I've tried to work out why that crazy thing happened to me. Like, it was just insane the amount of attention it got. And, you know, I, I, I was in. It was, I've got. I have my theories, which I'll tell you about. But, but yeah. the thing about it, when we did it in London to start with, I think one of the things was it was the first ever sort of immersive theatre. Like, yes. you, like you went in and you were you were actually at a club sitting at tables, and that was sort of right. like nobody did that. It was nobody right. did that sort of. We went into the audience and talked to them like it was in the real Kit Kat Club. So that was the, a new thing, and then also the fact that all the or um, the ensemble, the chorus, boys yeah. and girls, they played the instruments. They were the band, and that's yes. something that happens a lot now, and that had never been done before. So there's, yeah. there, it was kind of quite groundbreaking that way, and also just. The idea of doing something, trying to, be, I mean, it's interesting. I didn't want to do it. I write about this in my book too. I was very sort of, oh gosh, no, I don't do musicals. And I, yeah. but, you know, Sam Mendes, who directed it in London, was like, he said, I want to make it like, you know, real, like gritty and real, like how it would have been in those clubs, not a kind of musical version of it. You know, cause sure. I have problems with the musical form sometimes if, because I think, the, the nature of the form, like having songs end with a dim ba dim ba dim you know, and uh, yeah. like having that can sometimes, to me, and having to have rhymes and everything, can sometimes demean the subject matter. And Cabaret is Agreed. a absolute case in point. It's about, you know, the rise of Hitler and, uh, and uh, you know, the beginning of the Holocaust and everything. So it's yes. you know, hardly musical fodder. But I just yeah. think it's actually, it's all about the tone and the way you do it and not doing it in a sort of teeth and tits kind of way. And, of and course, also, you didn't you didn't do it anything like. I mean, the staple at the time was the Joel Grey version. I mean, he he no yes. one else had done it but him, yeah. and he had done it so well, obviously on stage and in the film that yeah. that's everybody's vision of it. And right. then you came in and said, "This is my approach," and then won everybody over. Like, like, did you know? Were you skating on thin ice, thinking I'm taking risks? But no, at the time, no, at the time, I was just doing how. I mean, to be honest, in London when I did it, I was. I mean, I'd seen the film of Cabaret, but it seems so removed from what we were doing. Obviously, the the sort of story in the in the play is different yes. from the movie and everything. And um, so the whole thing, I didn't really think about him at all. I mean, I didn't. It's not. A, I'm not being demeaning or anything. I just didn't think about yeah. it. And it wasn't until I came to Broadway with it that everyone was going nuts. 
yeah. um, and saying, did I do it? Like, was I purposely trying not to be like him and all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, and the, but I it remember- was a new and imagined, a new imagined version of it. And I think that you couldn't have been that had it been considering the circumstances, as you said, the club was being set up. The yeah. approach was different. Uh, the story was different. Also, you had a run already under your belt with it. So yes, you're doing be, your and thing. And I felt confident in a way. And actually, this is the thing I think is different that, it's really fascinating to me now. Like at the time, I remember saying, gosh, you know, in an interview, I said, I've never, you know, I didn't really, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I think Joe Gray is great, but I didn't really try to be like him or not like him. I've never talked about someone more in an interview that I don't know. Yeah. Right? yeah. I've never met. And then he yeah. sent me this thing going, you think it's bad? My answer machine's full of people telling me how great you are. And then, you know, <laughs> then he came to the show and everything. But um, I think it's to do with sex uh, confidence and comfort with sexuality is the big difference between those two i mean it's a great role and great roles can be interpreted in many many ways and there's only been really two major ones me and him in terms of so i'm sure in like 10 years time there'll be whatever there'll be another thing and hopefully somebody else will do something even more radically different and that will be that will continue it's a relatively new show you know only came out in the 60s so but i think the difference between us and i think why for me and why my sort of whole theory about why it hit this sort of big, became this big thing, is that at the time I was just really confident in who I was, yeah, who I was sexually, um, and felt very, you know, and and good about my body, good about all yeah. that stuff, and I liberating. Felt, Yes, it was very liberating to be in a role that asked for all those things in a place, Broadway, that didn't really have a, you didn't, men were not um, objectified in that way. Like I was all on bus stops, all looking all sort of androgynous and sort of, you know, um, sex putty. And I think at the, what was interesting at the time, Mm -hmm. um, 1998 was the time of the Clinton um, affair, you know, scandal. scandal. And so, at the so Americans saw sexuality being sort of so um, shamed and and um, derided in the real news, and yet there was me in this show on Broadway being this big sort of liberating sex pot, you know, pansexual thing. So I think that was partly why it was a contrast to what was actually happening in the real world at the time. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, to me, it was groundbreaking, and also just the way that it elevated your career, which we're going to talk more in a second. But we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and back again with the fabulous Mr. Alan Cumming. And we're back with the fabulous Mr. Alan Cumming, and we're discussing Cabaret and his groundbreaking moment uh, of taking this iconic role and making it his own. So started in the UK, did his thing in the West End, and then comes to America in 1996 and just kind of, eight. 1998, yeah. and actually just takes the fuck over. I mean, I remember you on the uh, the Tony Awards. I remember you on the Rosie O'Donnell show. I remember you doing the Candoran Ebb tribute at Kennedy Center. Oh, God, it's like. Yes. All of a sudden, here is this man coming in with makeup and a fabulous hairdo, I might add. I always wanted that hair uh, that Patti LuPone later wore in Sweeney Todd. But <laughs> I loved that hair. And what I loved about it is that from that, then it just all kind of blew the fuck up in the best way to put it. I mean, you were in everything, have done everything. I, I, I just how did it how did you feel coming to this country and feeling like, bam? Here we go. Well, I felt it was interesting because like a couple of years before that, I'd come to, I'd gone to LA and shot and done a couple. I did, that's when I did Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion and another film called Buddy. So I did two films in Hollywood and was just like, oh gosh, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't for me that sort of yeah. living in LA and in, in that sort of 
And I just living in a work town, it's not my thing. Do you know what I mean? I'm not. Um, anyway, so I like LA, but you know what I mean. Anyway, so then yeah, I sort of mean. rushed back to to Britain. I was living in London at the time, so that so I came back. To, so I came, and it was really New York was what I I, I sort of fell in love with New York. The vibe, and yeah. Just yeah, the energy, the kind of sort of, and you know, a lot of things like. Um, my Scottishness was I re, was very sort of celebrated. People liked the way I sounded. They liked my Embraced. spirit. And I, mm-hmm. those were things I was kind of derided for in, in London, living in London. So it was really, really interesting to feel. Yeah, yeah. There's a sort of a anti-Scottish sentiment goes on in London. It's a kind of a thing. You know, the Scottish English thing is still quite um, prickly. Mm-hmm. And not not everywhere, of course. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of Scottish people. It's, it's, it is a thing. You feel it. Yeah. And um, you just get used to it. You just become, you know, we all live with, all, many people live with various levels of, uh, low levels of racism and some not so low. But anyway, um, so then I, so I had this kind of big thing happen to me and it was just, I, w- I was overwhelmed actually. Because yeah. then I just sort of, I was overwhelmed during, it was my first time on Broadway. I didn't know what the score was, you know. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know, I mean, I knew it was crazy what was happening to me, but I didn't know like how crazy it was until later, until I looked back on it. And then I kind of just sort of went, I, for a few years, I just sort of traveled all over the place. I never really was had a home. I had these two giant trunks that I yeah. rolled around the world and had like, you know, my my collage making um equipment in it and everything so I yes. could make collage. It's just if I felt like a collage. And, yes. all my, and I basically lived out these two trunks. But a couple of years just making films and doing everything. And it was great. I really liked it. And then I kind of sort of, sort, you know, I came back, came back to New York and, yeah. then, and did a play again. I felt more settled. But it's been, it's, it's actually interesting looking back on, you know, when you've done being around the block a few times and you've got to actually research yourself. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, that's why I have a website so I can have an archive of what I've done so I remember. <laughs> yeah, you don't remember, yeah. I don't. But did you feel though, were you the person, because this is definitely my version of it, is that when you get a, when you get this one golden ticket, I say yes to everything and anything that came my way after that, you know, right. it's like, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I'll think about it later, live or regret yeah. it. It doesn't matter. Just go out and do it. The fact that somebody wanted me, was interested in me. I'm the first person to go, sign me up. Right. I don't yeah. care what it is. I sort of you know? did that. Yeah, kind of like I I did. Yeah, I mean, like, um, the, the, you know, I finished in Cabaret uh, on like a, uh, after a year. Really yeah. bizarre thing happened. It was like, I was, I, so I was, it was the night of the Tonys, right? So it was a okay. year after. It was like, you know, when you're Miss America, you've got to give your crown back. <laughs> And so yes. I, was, I was giving the Tony to someone, not my one, not the one if my, I'd won, but I was yeah, giving. Yeah, yeah, you already actually, had your own. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. It. So I was now uh, presenting and uh-huh. it was the last night of the Tony's and I was about to go, so the next day I was flying to LA to make, my first thing I was going to do was the movie of Annie that Rob Marshall oh, yes. was directing with yes. Kristen Chenoweth and, and um, Audra and, you know, Kathy Bates and everything. Kathy Bates. And I, and I just was so wanted to shave my head and I always do that at the end of jobs. I kind of change yeah. myself radically somehow. So I really wanted to shave my head right after the show. And it was a big deal. It was like hundreds of people outside say goodbye to me and everything. And also John Travolta wanted... Oh <laughs> yes. Speaking of shaved heads. Speaking John, of shaved yes, heads. Exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. They said, John, earlier in the week, they said, do you know John Travolta? He really wants to come and, be, and, and support you on your last day of the, of, the, of the show, of your last day in the show. And I said, like, I've never met him. 
Like oh, how, how lovely. And they said, the thing is, though, he wants to land his helicopter on the roof of Studio 54. I'm like, what? Uh, it will d- fall in. I mean, it's like a rickety yeah. old building. And I was like, well, what are you saying that I've got to say whether or not John Travolta can land his helicopter? On? <laughs> okay. Now, now that is, so you've nuts. made it at this point. Yeah. Right? And of course I said, no, he can't. It's dangerous. Of course. <laughs> so he came anyway. And, in, and what was the one? He came backstage and he just sort of sat there and like people were coming in and kissing me and blah, blah. He just sat there and I was like, oh, you know, and blah, blah, and various people. And he was just sitting there for ages. Then it kind of thinned out, less people there. And then I was like, oh, he's not going to go. And then so then, and then it got kind of pervy where I, yeah. he sat and the girl came in to shave my head. And he oh, no. sat and, and watched, he watched? Me, get, he watched <gasps> me getting my head shaved. And was, what did, what were you thinking at this time going, what the fuck is going on? I was like, or what were fuck? you thinking, John Travolta, Danny Zuko is watching me in this moment. I mean, were you like, yeah, there was a bit of that. The whole thing, I was just like, this is so insane. Like, it was so much going on. My last day of this huge thing, and you know, I could hear hundreds of people outside all screaming for me and all that. It was crazy. And then there's John Travolta kind of watching me just getting my head shaved, sitting a few feet. I was bonkers. Did he say anything? Did he say anything after that? He chatted. No, I mean, there was, I was just, it's just I left him there. There was other people coming in and out, you know. And I, I just wait, was aware wait, he was just wait, wait, wait. like you he just didn't want him. to go. He was just waiting, and he was just watching. <laughs> kind of, this it was it was mental. The whole thing was mental. And so then I, I go to the Tonys, and um, uh-huh. I wore a hat. I had a little outfit that had a hat on, and I remember <laughs> that Audrey McDonald and I, <laughs> who I love, had, I love to death. We're yes. going to give uh, uh, an award. We're giving an award. It was, you know, it's like, and now Tony winners, Alan Cumming and Audrey McDonald. And recently she had had this thing where she used to hyperventilate when she sang long notes and she would faint, right? Oh, and we'd oh done this uh, gala thing for Rosie O'Donnell. And yeah. Audra was on the stage and she did a big long note and she hyperventilated and she fell. She fainted and no. she fell off the stage and landed on <laughs> Rosie's feet. And, <laughs> and later well, on... Uh, those are some big feet to fall on. <laughs> Good lesbian feet. Yeah. <laughs> later I said to uh, Rosie, it must have been awful, Rosie. You're just having this gala in your honour. And the next thing, Audra McDonald's fallen on your feet. And, she, and, and Rosie said, and you know, the worst thing was I looked up and her shoes were still on the stage. Like she'd fallen out of her <laughs> shoes. <laughs> so, we're at, <laughs> so we're at the Tonys and we're like, Alan Cumming and uh, Audrey McDonald. And we're yeah. about to walk on and she said, oh gosh, these shoes are really uncomfortable. I said, don't you fall out of those shoes, bitch. Exactly, don't, don't, don't hit a note. <laughs> so then that I went a- on and I, and I, then I was being in- interviewed and my friend, you know, Matthew Bourne, the choreographer, that year was yes. when he did the Swan Lake with all the boys. He's such a genius. Yes. And, um, and he was, we were, we were old friends. He was, room, we were roommates actually for a wee bit in London. And ah. I was being interviewed and I, and he, and he won and I lifted my hat up in the air and it was yes. on TV. And so the people no. in LA and on Annie saw no. that I'd shaved my head again. Like no. I hadn't told them. I mean, I was going to have no. to tell them, but that meant yeah. they had to get me a wig. And <gasps> so, and they were like, sort of scrambling around. I was being such a brat. I just shaved my head without telling them. And then they saw me on telly that night with my head and they were like freaking out. And then the next well, you day, know what? The, the thing that kills me right now, I was thinking that the, oh my God, so then you had to call John Travolta and borrow one of his wigs <laughs> is what I thought happened. I thought they saw your head and then John Travolta went, hey, you want to borrow one of mine? Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Their dues. Yeah. Here we go. His it wigs was really, are good. It was really good. Yeah. And then that summer, it was nuts. Like this is a kind of an indication. I was, I did, I did three jobs at the same time. I did Annie at the same time as uh. doing the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, like literally at the same time. <laughs> 
And it was like I had a chart. My assistant yeah. had this chart with all different colors for each job and which days I was doing it. Wow. Some, and then the third job was uh, because Robert, Robert Downey Jr. went to prison. And so they had to <laughs> recast him as, as the devil in this show called God, the Devil and Bob. And, and so they cast me in, instead. Yes. So I was playing... I was playing the devil and um, James Garner, remember him? Rockford yes, Files? James Garner, of course. He played um, God and at the studio, he had a parking space that said, James Garner, God. Are you kidding me? No. Are you kidding? And did you get any ideas from that? And you're thinking, I was hey, like, I, I want Alan Cumming, the devil. Wouldn't that devil, be okay? yes. But you see, that's the thing though. It's like you're going into something and here it is, America just sucks you up like a sponge. I mean, not as yeah. much as John yeah. Travolta, but <laughs> America sucks you up. We claim you as your own and you're doing... All of this stuff, and none of it is on the same vein. I mean, you're doing everything and anything. I mean, not to yeah. mention years later, you're in television. and It's like, how how does that make you feel knowing, <laughs> I'm going to ask this as a gay man, being so versatile, how is it, <laughs> how do you feel about that? You know, is it just like, how great, you know? It's like, I, you're the Meryl Streep, honey. You're out there doing it all. <laughs> I, if Meryl Streep did Flintstone films. Um, <laughs> I, she did Mamma Mia, be real. Basically, be that's real. the same thing, yes. yes. Um, yeah. I, well, the, here's the thing. I actually, you know, my whole reason I wanted to become an actor was to play different people. Right. I know, I've noticed that, you know, when you're, if you're either a European actor like me or Meryl Streep, people, yeah. <laughs> it's that, the people are, people are just like, oh, you do all these different things, but it's not, it's thought of as this bizarre kind of um, exotic thing. Because mostly in yeah. America, people do one, they have a sort of a type, sort of a personality, yeah. prob- mostly usually quite similar to them. And then, you know, like you want, you know Jennifer Aniston. You don't you don't want Jennifer Aniston to be sort of playing someone from China or well she wouldn't be playing you know me but someone from Russia with an eye patch. You want her to be right, Jennifer right, Aniston. Right, right. Tom Cruise is no. always you know what a Tom Cruise movie means and and things like that. Although he did play someone German with an eye patch once I remember. But well, do you know what I mean? They have you, these, they get these, pigeonholed and and it becomes this particular type for that. Yeah, role, and I think the is, acting the acting spectrum is is less. For yes. and, and, and then what you're expected to do is, is that there's a lesser spectrum. Whereas when you're from Europe or if you're Middle Street, it's like you can do anything. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. can do absolutely anything. And people actually, and then you become known for being an eclectic sort of uh, person who, who can do all sorts of things. So I like, I like, I'm lucky because that's the really is why I wanted to become an actor was to be lots of different people, not just to be on stage and to do one thing. So no, but, and you also successfully do it well. I mean, not many people can do it. And and we laugh about Meryl Streep, but uh, this is a funny little story because you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. I was working at a Broadway costume shop in uh, New York and mm. Barbara Matera, and we used to make Mamma Mia costumes. Oh, and a year, I think a year after Beth Level, who was brilliant, who was in Drowsy Chaperone, she had won the oh, Tony yeah. Award. It was yeah. just her moment. She's living her life. And about a year later, she goes into Mamma Mia. So we're all like, oh, she's going into Mamma Mia on Broadway. Like, uh, okay, this is new. Big Tony winner. This is her moment. So she came in and we was careful of not to say the wrong thing, but we all want to go, what are you doing going (laughs) into Mamma Mia? You're a Tony winner. Like, you're at the top of this. So she walks in and she goes, before we go any further, I want all of you to know that I'm going into Mamma Mia because Meryl made it okay. And I was like, (laughs) that's the ticket. That's it. If it's good enough for Meryl Streep, it's good enough for that level. Yeah. So, you know, you you take the job for what it is. And I thought, okay, she handled it. She addressed it and we could move on. And, you know, I think that's the thing. Also, you know, she probably got a ton of dosh for being Mamma Mia. And that's a thing I think that's really like people, you know, sometimes you get. Well, I mean, you don't really anymore. But I guess I'm so old and been around the block. I've said these things all the time. But 
you know, people say, why are you doing, you know, why are you doing, I remember I was doing Titus, that film Titus with yes. you know, Anthony Hopkins. And I, I think the Flintstones came out the next two months later or something or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, there's been various things like that. I do the Smurfs yeah. and I do some independent film about, you know, marriage equality or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and people say, why do you, you know, get that thing? I think, oh, for fuck's sake, why do you think? Yeah, of course. For money. Yeah. I did it for money. I just to sometimes just want to have some fun. I did it for money so that I'd be able to afford to go and do a little film of and course. I'm going to get paid nothing a week and or maybe go and do the theatre. It's this idea of like, you know, I think that's also where people get trapped in there, not just in that sort of lesser spectrum of roles, but also in like you're only allowed to do a certain kind of thing. And why? Well, you know, right. I've done, I've, I've loved this. This year's been hilarious because I've done, I was in, I was, I did an episode of The Simpsons. <gasps> oh, that's cheap. Now you know you've made it. That's bucket I mean, list. The Simpsons. Yeah, Come on and then now. like you know a couple of episodes of that Prodigal Son thing, and da da da. Yeah, I did a documentary. I mean, just I love that. I mean, it's been really interesting in this last year when there's not been so much stuff going on and no theatre, obviously. Yeah, how eclectic you you can be and all these different things, and I love that. I just love. I've directed. I've been directing this. Oh well, of course you were in yes, it. Well, our new thing yeah well what i was gonna say is that it's also we appreciate that i appreciate that because you know my friend matt kugelman who was doing uh, hurricane bianca with me reached out to you because we both have such respect and and love for you and we had met you on several occasions and you were always so nice that he reached out and said hey would you do this and you said sure and it's like helen cumming is saying yes you know i mean like that's the thing where you go that's how lucky we are but also just how generous you are you well, know and also and, but it, you know there's yes it, well, that's nice but it's also i'm not you know i had a great time i i like love the script i always thought you're an absolute genius Roy. you know that i think you're just you are too kind hilarious, now you see, now you see, hilarious well, let me tell you the truth i was gonna cut your part out but i thought <laughs> no, it was so good you kept it in <laughs> it was you know we'll talk i have pointers but then here we are <laughs> in the notes. middle of, of quarantine while i'm home not making bread I get an email from you and you've got this new project that uh, that we're going to talk about in a hot minute because we're going to take a short break and hear from our sponsors. But we're coming back with Alan's new project that I'm lucky enough to get involved in. Be right back. And we're back with Alan Cumming, and we're talking about his latest project. You know, we've been trying to find a way to get through quarantine. Obviously, neither one of us are making bread. We've been watching our alcoholic intake. But he's created this new thing called the Hot White Heist. And Ellen, you're going to tell us a little more about this and this new kind of genre that you're going into, right? <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a genre of... A queer heist movie, I suppose. That's except it's an audible. It's on audible. It's a podcast series. So basically, yes. it's a, a bank heist uh, story, but it's a sperm bank heist. So you will <laughs> never have had so many or heard so many cum jokes in your life. Like Keep it, them coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the loads of them. And there's a. We're just we're about to record the theme tune, which is hilarious. It's called um, oh crikey, what's it called? Not bring it on. I can't remember. Take some loads or something. I mean, I can't remember. There's all. There's it's all catchy. These. It's catchy. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mental. So, so it's like if this this really great guy called Adam Goldman, who wrote yes. it, and he wrote he had written another thing uh, which I loved called The Outs, which was a web series, and then it was on Vimeo. They did it on Vimeo when Vimeo made programs, 
And I liked it so much, I, I sort of said to him, and then I said, oh, let's meet, because I think he's a really great writer and I'd love to work. Yes. And then he said, and then I ended up being in the outs playing myself, which is always, mm. I've, I've played myself quite a lot in the last few years. I think that must be a sign of which age. Is- no, or, you know, it's a sign of you've been around and you've done a lot and yes. people know you've been recognized. So yes. this is good. So, so you can play we're, we're yourself. In a, in a bank heist, a sperm bank heist, yes. a six-part comedy series, and it's going to be released on Audible on June 17th. And do you want to discuss the plot? Or do you, I mean, well, first of all, the people that are in it. Oh my are, God, it's, it's crazy. Wild. It's you've like everybody it's in queer it. royalty. So, so there's um, uh, you, for instance. <laughs> Um, there is Jane Lynch, Cynthia Nixon. Yes. Oh, Bowen Yang is the lead. Yes. Uh, um, um, Cheyenne Jackson. Cheyenne Jackson, John Cameron Mitchell, Margaret Shannon Cho. Woodard, Margaret Cho. Uh, oh, there's lots of people I'm forgetting. So um, basically, it's every fag and every gay person that you have met throughout your yes, life. Yes, Abby Jacobs. Yeah, basically everyone, every queer person. And, um, and it's such a hoot. So it's basically... A bunch. So there's there is a there's a, 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 a lesbian cult in Montana yes. or no is it Montana, and they have discovered that there is a under the Space Needle there is a, a repository for all the presidents of America's come, and so they are going and and there's a there's a train there's some come has been taken from the from the Space Needle to somewhere else I don't know why I can't remember it's in the plot but. And yeah, then yeah, so yeah. basically the lesbians want to try and steal this cum so that they can sell it to the Russians and they can buy an island and make it the new Lesbos so that for, we'll all be able to go and have this queer, you know, uh, utopia. Experience. Mm-hmm. So they get this. So the Cynthia Nixon is one of the lesbians and she <laughs> comes to recruit her sort of ragbag uh, nephew played by Boon Yang. And, and so mm-hmm. he, that, who's like a kind of, he does like tarot card readings at the, in Washington Square Park. He has friends like you who plays mm-hmm. a drag queen in, in, um, Brooklyn. And yeah, it's a, it's a stretch for me because I'm playing a sassy drag queen, like sassy friend who does drag on the side. I mean, that is so not like me, but I'm stretching. You're and stretch- I'm but you know what's so good out. is that you're a, you're a drag queen who's so uh, good at makeup and changing things that you actually play in the course of an evening. There's five different drag queens on the bill and it's all you. I love that. <laughs> that and on the radio talent, as well, honey. so nobody knows. That is Meryl who? Meryl who? <laughs> Meryl <Nowhere>. what? Yeah. <laughs> And then, so we go on this journey with them. They're a sort of brag bag group of people all have never done this before. And they go and they, and they steal the cum. And my favorite scene in the whole thing. So they get the cum. It's yes, like episode oh four. And um, there's uh, one of the things, one of the vials of it falls out the window in the getaway thing and you hear it clinking and oh, everything goes into slow motion. It's really funny. <laughs> and, um, and then, of course, they've got to fill it up. With, uh-huh. with with sperm because the Russians are going to come and get it and they can't. So it go, it's down to uh, Bianca Del Rio's character to um, fill it. And what yes. is so hilarious? <laughs> is wait, <it> wait, <laughs> wait, back it up. The, the hilarious part is that we're, I get called into the studio in Los Angeles and they said, come in and we're going to read the script. So I'm reading the script and, you know, it explains it. It basically maps it out and says, you know, sexual like sounds or, or, or you're about to come or whatever. Yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, OK, this is going to be quick and easy. But as I'm sitting in the studio, there's what, one, two, there's maybe six of us on screen at the time. Yeah. And they're like, okay, and now we're going to do Bianca's jerking off sounds. And I'm like, <laughs> oh! <laughs> I mean, talk about OnlyFans. This was a complete OnlyFans totally. moment. You should get that for your OnlyFans. Do you know I what should. Was, what was so hilarious? And the great thing is that you, that, um, 
that uh, you start being they start to have, they start to have a fight because everyone's so stressed out. They start yes. to have a fight, and I think Cheyenne says to you, you know, hey, don't <laughs> shut the fuck up, Mister. Don't talk to my wife like that. And use and then that, of course that gets you hard, and that's why you yes. say well, like I'm 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 a what. It doesn't a, take much for Cheyenne Jackson to make me hard. I mean, come no. on. I mean, I mean. So do, then you know everybody old... starts shouting mean things to you to then, so that they can get you to come in the vial. It's, it's just silly. And all the things, because like, you were there with some of the people, but you know, all the other ones are added. So it's all these yes. other people saying the most hilarious things to kind of, that would be like, hey, to get your, me going. your blending's really bad. I wasn't going to mention it, but you're bla- <laughs> you blend Say like it again. a straight Say boy. it again. Yes. Say it meaner. Say it harder. Yeah. So, and then we had to actually take out, there was an, I'm not sure if you did this or it was the Foley people, but it's a kind of like slapping noise yeah. of, that we had to take out. It was too much. <laughs> it was a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. I tell you though, it, it's the crazy thing. And I guess it's the new way of creating stuff now. And I'm thankful that, you know, obviously to get to be a part of it, but creating all of it separately in different rooms and yeah. trying to get the tone of it and making it happen, yeah. which has been, you know, part of our new world. You know, I, exactly. I'm i not tech savvy at all. I know none of this, but now I have to have a microphone. I have my to have God. a computer. I have all I've these got, cords. Like, behind me, I've got this. I've been filming a thing and that's my little studio in that, underneath that curtain and I film little ads. I'm doing this... Um, going, I'm an artistic director of the Adelaide Cabaret Festival and I'm going to Australia in May for that. Ah. It's in June. And, and so I've been doing all this. I mean, that's the thing, like... All the remote stuff. And one of the things that was quite hard about Hot White Heist, ah, ha, ha, see what I did there? Yeah. What <laughs> is, yeah. Um, the, is like, you know, making it all, with it being so remote, you know, often with these yeah. animated things and, and uh, voice things, you're not there with the people. You do it separately. But this has been even more so. So it's been kind of an interesting thing to direct that, to try and make it all seem as one. But it's sounding really great, right? It really is. No. And I'm looking forward to it. As you said before, it's called The Hot White Heist, and it's available on Audible June 17th. It's about Yours. sperm, so you want to catch it. You know, you're loads really definitely and loads catch of sperm. Yeah, I don't if think you want to hear my porn dialogue, yeah. Oh, Ugh, yeah. It's hilarious. <laughs> so it, was, hilarious. it was really a lot of fun to get to do. Now, is there anything else that you're thinking that, you know, this particular year, are you looking at, aside from doing the Adelaide Festival and, and heading out, is there any other large projects that are, like, lingering? I know I have a list of things that are, like, up in the air because yes. we don't know where the world's going to be. No. I've got a few films kind of, like, all circling, you know, the things that are... Lots of things circling, actually, and uh, some really fun things that I would really love to do. But, you know, it's just... Uh, films are always... Especially if they're not big, you know, if it's a big studio blockbuster, you know, that's definitely going to happen. But the ones that I really like to do are smaller and more, you know, more interesting to me. I shouldn't say that. So there's always, they're always a bit sort of at the mercy of the financiers and everything, but even more so now. But there's a couple of things like that. But also like in November, I've got my my new book coming out. It's called Baggage. Ah. And um, so I'm- Wait, what's it called? Baggage. Baggage. Okay, perfect. Tales from a well-packed life. And- um, Ah. It's about, yeah, it's about my, uh, well, you know, from, it's actually goes from the end of my first marriage to the, to the, to, to the beginning of my second. And what chapter am I? I'm <laughs> yeah. chapter, uh, <laughs> <Where would you> be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the moment you met me, you know, yeah. but I, I am curious, I am curious, you know, aside from writing books and, and, you know, living your life, creating content for everybody else, if you had to choose between live theater yeah, and an X Men blockbuster film. Ooh. Where does your, where does your heart go? Yeah, I know where be, the money goes. Yeah, the money would be in the X Men blockbuster film. But yes. I mean, I mean, 
It's kind. I mean, I've. I would definitely. I always say, you know, I, what I would really do. It's so interesting. Like over the, I now do concerts. You know, do my like you yes. go out in the road and you do. I do that, and I've got a wee band, and I tell my stories and you know sing some songs, and I really have enjoyed it. My new one that I'm doing starting in Australia is called Alan Cumming is not acting his age, and I <laughs> I I really love it, and that and the connection you get with an audience is so much more than. Like playing a character, you know, it's actually, yeah. even though I love that in the theatre, when you can feel you're really, the show's going really well and the play's really reaching people, when it's you telling stories about yourself and your opinions and being vulnerable as well. Completely. That is um, such a great feeling and I've really, really enjoyed that over the last sort of decade and a bit. So that's what I would do. I mean, I didn't, another thing about writing this book is I realised certain, pat, you know, things in my career, like after X-Men, which really was a horrible experience to make. Even really? It's a, it's a very good film. I like, it's a very good film, but it was a, yeah. a dreadful experience to make. And and um, it was it was just, I felt like, you know, there was really bad behaviour going on and the studio was indulging and, and sort of enabling that behaviour at, the, uh-huh. at, the, at everyone's sort of mental health and... Yeah. You know, and, and I just thought, oh, I don't want to be a part of something that really is just is so, you're, you're such a cog in a machine and you're basically, right. basically soulless. saying, yes, yeah, soulless, just shut the fuck up, get on yeah. with it because this film's going to make a lot of money for us all. And even though this, there's a, you know, director who's got drug problems and, is, you know, and blah, 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 and missing days and we're all wondering when the film's going to end. It doesn't matter. It's not weird. Right. You're not. And that to me. It was, they were sort of saying, they were sort of saying, you know, the experience of making this is less important than the end product and the rest right. of it's going to affect. And I never feel, I always feel the experience is the thing that you should worry about. Of course. Well, so, I mean, I think that's been coming from, you know, a, a live performance is that, you know, you you have those nights where you go out and things don't connect and things don't click. Mm. But when you know that the environment is toxic, it's 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 oh, never going to end well, you know, worst, and, and so at least after with, that, live, I just, with live theater or with connecting, you go, I've got that. You know, yeah, exactly. I know that and I have self-awareness, yeah. but shit, I couldn't imagine being oh, in. G- going to work every day when everyone's just so unhappy and it's just, and you feel like you're in a really, you are in a toxic environment because there's, you know, there's toxicity that's being enabled by yeah. the bosses just to get the film finished. And so anyway, um, it's, it's interesting. After that, I kind of just moved to did more independent films and went away from those kind of films and then I went into television. It's just really interesting how when you look back on things, you don't really realise yes. at the time. But it's, yeah. I thought, oh, well, that's... I obviously had had a couple of experiences like big, big franchise things like that. Sometimes they're great. Yes. But more yeah. than likely, you're going to feel, you know, a much more cog in a machine and that's not you know it's not my thing that's not for you it's not for me and i I like i really do like that film but it's not my ambition it never has been or less so now to be a you know a a superhero and all that stuff it's kind of hilarious it was hilarious of course to be (laughs) have my my six inch and 12 inch fully posable figures which i just loved i loved it (laughs) how many men can say they have that how many men i had a hilarious conversation with ian mckellen because we were, I, I've, I've got this new. I've got a new podcast coming out called Alan Cumming Shells. When I talk about, I, knew, I did not shells. know this. Alan Cumming Shells, and where can yes. people get it? Uh, you can get it whatever. I can't remember the name of the company that's doing <laughs> it, but you, you can get it whatever you get podcast, and it's coming out in May, in the middle of May. I forgot to tell you that. Okay, um, good to know. And um, but I did one with Ian. He's one of the yes. first ones. He might even be the first one. And we were talking about our, um, you know, he's such a darling. And we were talking yes. about our fully poseable uh, six inch and twelve inch figures. <laughs> I mean, you, that's every gay man's dream to have a 12 inch figure and you've gotten to perform with Liza Minnelli. I, I mean, like, come on, you, you've got it all. Now. I'm fully you've possible. Got it all. Both fully yeah. possible. 
<laughs> they are, yes. And I do know, and I only say that because I got to see you uh, with Liza in uh, uh, Fire Island. Oh, were when you, you there were out that there night? Perform with her. Yeah, that I was, was slumming from from one shitty brunch to another, and <clears throat> that you guys were coming out there. And I mean, I, you know, what can we honestly say about her? Uh, there's everything no. that I love tremendously about her, but I know that you're close with her. And yeah. I mean, what's it like having Liza Minnelli in your phone? You know, no one you could just go, bloop, bloop, Liza. Well, I just, I, I just, you know, I just give her a call and see how she's doing. And it's, yeah. she's just, it's such a hoot. You know, she's such a, you know, a darling. And she's just always one of these people who says, I love you so much. And, you know, and I always say, <laughs> yeah. what are you doing? Because I'm watching um, Turner classic movies. And, and yeah. uh, you know, it's just kind of having, she's just having a rare old time of it, you know, well, resting up. Her. And, you know, she's worked her balls off over the years. Yes. And it's so nice. She just feels, she seems so happy. Yes. And right well, now and uh, and 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 oh, and still hilarious. She says the most hilarious things on the on the phone. So I, See, I, 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 I yeah, what? it's one of those things where I look at her and I know she just celebrated seventy fifth birthday, which yeah. you guys had put together this whole thing where I think it's still available online. But it's Liza's seventy fifth birthday, and it was kind of a love letter. And like with each day. It, it it really kind of puts things in perspective when you start to see the people that are added. You know, it started with Alan was going to be there and this one, and then all of a sudden you're like, Barbara Streisand is added and Joel Gray is at Cheetah Rivera. And I'm like, son yeah. of a bitch. You forget yeah. that the world revolves around Liza Minnelli, honestly. I mean, you totally. Go, I mean, it's just, it's so interesting. Impact. Like the, the thing about it is, and it's about her, you know, she, what the thing I always say about why, how, why I even did a, a concert of my own for the first time was I, I, I was I was in Glasgow doing rehearsing a play for the National Theatre of Scotland, and she and they, I got this offer to do the thing, you know, the Lincoln Centre American yeah, Songbook yeah. thing. And I'd always wanted to do a show on my own, but I was always too terrified. And she was in. She came to Glasgow to do. Liza came to Glasgow to do a concert for the first time yeah. ever, only time she's ever done a concert in Glasgow and Scotland. So I had dinner with her in a hotel the night before and I told her about this. And she said all these really amazing, th- gave me all this advice, said all these really amazing things about how to basically, you know, be a showman, but also have to retain your authenticity. And yeah. she was, it was almost, you know, she said this great thing about <clears throat> how when she gets a new song, she um, thinks, who is that woman? Who is this yeah. woman? You know, what does she think? What does she like? What kind of fridge magnets does she have? And I was like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, a, that's wait, a little that is, detail. You're getting a complete masterclass at dinner from Liza Minnelli. Yeah, and then and then, she, and then she talks about a song being like a play. You think of a song yes. like it's like a th- got different acts, and you go and you're a character in this story, and you know things like that that are really simple. But <clears throat> I really understood everything she meant, and it really really helped me in terms of impactful. How I, yeah, because you know when you don't feel very, you know that thing where you have to tough to get over the hump of. People are just coming to see you and right. it's about, you've got to think I'm good enough to stand yeah. up on a stage and interpret songs or s- s- do my stuff, s- say yeah. what I want to say. And like, that's something, And but you've also got to be vulnerable. You've got to sort of be prepared to be vulnerable. Like in that clip, it's a bit of you, like saying that thing. That's yeah. that's you being vulnerable. You're being ballsy and everything, but you're being yeah. vulnerable as well because you're saying and- stuff about yourself. And I think that's what's really important. And also just, you know, self-awareness, knowing where you are, knowing what you're about and doing. And I, I remember uh, on the same note, I, I was 17 and I saw Cheetah Rivera and Kiss of the Spider Woman, which uh. is probably the most glorious theatrical experience. I mean, Cheetah in her 
prime, prime. Of okay like, great well, rule her, and everything her, her fifth prime because this woman i mean at 60 yeah. was doing shit that nobody could ever do and i remember seeing it and i got to meet her uh makeup artist kate best and then i got to meet cheetah after the show and i remember looking at this woman going how do you do this how do you how do you do this every night you know eight shows a week and you know yeah. cheetah doesn't miss a show Never. and she looked at me and she says every night you have to prove that you deserve to be there and I thought that's the best advice yes. ever is that so even if you're having a shit day, you got to go out there and you've got to be cheating. Oh. You got to kick, you know, because they're out there looking at you going, mm, she didn't kick so high. Yeah, but that was what got her there was that you've got to prove every night that you deserve to be there. Get out that's of your so own good. head. You know, I've not, I, I, I think she and I, I also love Cheetah Rivera. She's once that you're talking about that um, thing in Washington, the Kennedy Center Honors that I did. Yes. yes. And yes. that was hilarious because. It was. I had to start singing Cabaret Vilcommon, and then Joe Gray kind yes. of appeared from behind these dancers, and he yes. finished it. And then BB Neath started singing all that jazz, and then Cheetah appeared, and she Cheetah started comes singing. Out. And then there was like hundreds of people came on, like taxi drivers and the New York yes. Mets and all these people. And then creative the, choice, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, and then the four of us come out, and Liza is there, and she's yes. singing New York, New York. And we have to do that dance and the kind of shoulder thing, you know, yes. to join yes. Liza and the shoulder thing. Dun, and dun. I, in rehearsals, <laughs> I couldn't get it. I just, I'm not a very good dancer, right? I, I mean, I, I, I can move, but I not can't do it the same as everybody else. And yeah. so I was in. We were it was Rob Marshall was choreographing, and he. Gave us a thing. And so I was in the corner kind of trying to get it myself. And it's so embarrassing. I'm surrounded by all these legends of <laughs> right. dance. And all the dancers were the Chicago people, all the Fosse people. I mean, it was just like so intimidating. And I go into the corner and Liza comes and says, darling, what are you doing? It's just, you're terrific. I was like, oh, I'm just trying to get this shoulder thing, Liza. She goes, well, you put your, it's your shoulder forward and your arm, and then you twist around. And I was like, I was, going, oh. and I was getting all hit up because I couldn't get it. And then yes. Cheetah Rivera comes over. No. Cheetah comes over and she no. goes, what's going on? She goes, Alan can't get the thing. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you have to Liza, stop. You have to stop. I can't deal with this. Cheetah Liza is Liza. calling you out in front of Cheetah. Now that's a gay ass mom. What's going on? Hey girl, let me tell you. Alan sucks at this dance. Seriously, take- it was like a, a ten year old child in a Saturday morning dance class would have picked it up in five minutes. I mean, it's that. It's, the, it's the it's the thing that everybody. You just say New York, New York, and everyone starts going doing that shoulder dun, thing. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I couldn't. And then what, what was so sweet though, and amazing, and kind of a precursor to the conversation we had later. Was I was trying? They were both trying to teach me it, and then Liza went, yeah. "Oh, just just do it your own way." <laughs> Brilliant! And there you course. go. Yeah, you so see, darling. I mean, no, that's that, that's truly amazing. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough for chatting with me today. I thoroughly, uh, thoroughly appreciate it. I adore you. I love you to pieces. Love you too. You've been so kind to me. Um, I I can't thank you enough. Uh, I love it. Oh, I'm darling. looking forward to the new book. I'm looking forward to the Adelaide Festival. And at one point, I'd like you to show me that little shoulder dance to see if you've mastered it yet. I hope. Next I time hope in person, let's put New York, New York on and we'll both do it. All right, you get Cheetah and Liza there. We can make sure we do it. We can make sure we do it. I can't thank you enough, my love. Good right, luck with darling. the new podcast, and I hope to see you soon. Thank okay. you, my love. Take care. Thank you. Starbanks Avenue, a podcast network.